Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Ever wonder if Jesus played sports? Well, we do too. For these next six episodes on the Sport Faith Life podcast, Chad and I play with the idea of Jesus playing sports. We pick six sports to explore one at a time, asking ourselves, what about the sport speaks to humanity in unique ways? What are the goods inherent in the sport? We do bring a caution or two, but mainly we celebrate sport by imagining Jesus in uniform. So let's get started. Well, in this series, Brian, we've spent some time talking about uh, soccer. That was an easy choice for us for the first one, you know, sort of the, the global game. Then we went to distance running, which is something that is fairly ubiquitous, I would say, and, and definitely like popular from an anthropological perspective, you know, to us as, as humans. Then the last one was pickleball, and that was a little bit more like esoteric, I know, but it's a growing sport in popularity, and popularity, and I think that that was a fun one. We've gotten some good feedback on that one. So here we move to a sport that I got to say I'm really excited about. Well, that should be a real shock to our listeners, I would say. Uh, no, this is the sport that uh, Chad is constantly pumping up and describing as the sport, but it, rightly so. It's basketball. And the reason it, Chad has a long history in basketball. In fact, both of us have uh, participated as basketball players. We've both coached basketball. Chad, much more than me. So this will be uh, right in his wheelhouse. This will be exciting. And, you know, uh, depending on when you listen to this podcast, we are in the middle of basketball season, right? So we are in those colder months when people move inside, and it's a great opportunity for us to to dig into this sport of basketball. And I'm excited to sort of figure out if Jesus would have played basketball, right? So there we go. I would say, Brian, um, I would like to defer. I know it's an uh, American football term. I, I would like to defer to you and have you share your first reason first. So you, you won the toss and you are deferring. <laughs> I guess I assumed, yeah, I guess you got to win the toss in order to be able to defer. I guess I assumed I, 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 if I toss something here, I would, I would win it and then I, I will defer nevertheless. Of course you would. Okay. No problem. I, I'm, I'll happily go first. Um, so, uh, we don't want to really repeat from other sports. And so we're doing our best right. to try to come up with new and, and and interesting ways to look at sports. And this is fun. It's really exciting to do that. So my, my first one uh, about basketball as to why Jesus would play, I'm going to label history. And for me, the history of basketball is somewhat unique. Um, and the story is told pretty well. So, some sports you're not quite sure how, depending on how old they are, where, where they, how they evolved, and this particular sport has a story. I mean, it has a story, it has a person to it. You know, the accuracy of those stories can change over time, but we feel pretty good about that. And to me, the idea that it came from a PE teacher, a person who was um, thinking about the fitness and activity and gameplay of uh, his students and meeting a need because it was a rainy, cold day in Massachusetts and people had to be inside. 
And there were, you know, the templates that they had, the games that would that would require running or running across a line, for instance. Uh, walls make that pretty dangerous, right? So you're inside and you're trying to think of new ways to try to get vigorous activity in a sport. And so to me, the, the evolution of this game really uh, speaks to me a little bit. James Naismith was the inventor. He was working for the YMCA, uh, and that C stands for Christian. So he had larger or different purposes or adjoined purposes in mind as he developed this sport. And really, he developed a sport that he wanted to be safe. He wanted to be active. He wanted it to be challenging. He wanted to have people to have success. And he wanted it to have flow. And, you know, when he first started, there were very few of those things in place. And he just kept tweaking and adjusting the rules. And really, that messiness of process just makes me think of the history of Israel. Just this idea of a forming nation with a variety of different rules and guidelines and leadership. Uh, we think of times of, of Moses sort of leading his people out of Egypt, and then the evolution of trying to live as a community and developing um, you know, through the time of the judges, and then, hey, we need a king, and that didn't work out great, ultimately leading to this, this savior. And so to me, the the importance of history, the evolution of history, and how that intertwines with the activity, that, that made some sense to me. And so I'm going to go with this idea of history. There's something that's really, I, th- I think, interesting about the parallel you made with the nation of Israel. And I'm thinking about the reason why Naismith came up with this game in the first place. I mean, the idea was you've got these rough and tumble athletes that are college age guys, and they're getting after playing American football, rugby, soccer on the outside in the fall. And then in the spring, they start playing baseball. And in the winter, they had nothing indoors from outside of these sort of, you know, calisthenics or gymnastics. And that just wasn't like they were just getting restless. They were getting rowdy. They were uh, Naismith and his fellow teachers refer to them as the incorrigibles, Hmm. which is exactly, I think, what happened with the people of Israel, God's chosen people. When they're in that land between, there's nothing for them, right? There's just some messiness and, you know, behaviors aren't what they should be when there's, when they're bored and, uh, and all those types of things. That's really Really interesting. Yeah, the history, that's important. Basketball has such a cool origin story. And it, it's its really interesting that we know that and that there's there, there's evidence, there's factual evidence to, bait, to back that up, uh, despite the messiness that, that comes with, with origin stories. So that's yeah, good, Brian. Ner- yeah, thank you. I was, a, I was a little nervous doing that. I know you, you know the history of basketball way better than I do. So I thought I would just hit the highlights and let you run with it. So thanks very much for doing <laughs> that. Tell me... Uh, Tell me, where did you go for your first reason Jesus would play basketball? Well, you know, I, I could think of about 10 different reasons related to history. And, and you touched on uh, on a topic that, that would incorporate a lot of what I said for history, but or what I would say for history. But I think there's something else to be said here. There's something um, unique about basketball in the United States that I think would I think Jesus would have been proud of. Um, so basketball was created in 1891, end of 1891, right? And it grows in the last decade of the 19th century, first couple of decades of the 20th century. And really during that time, we see uh, waves of emigration to the United States, um, specifically from what we refer to as hyphenated Americans, those from non-Anglo-Saxon sort of countries uh, that were heavily Catholic, and also uh, a number of, of immigrants who, who identified as being Jewish. And 
really the way that these two groups of underrepresented um, people of faith came into the American mainstream of pop culture was through basketball. That was an avenue that did not exclude Catholic Americans who were who were uh, uh, new new immigrants to the United States and uh, Jewish Americans who were new to the United States. And so uh, th- there's something that was special about that game that um, that these people who had been sort of the uh, the meek, the lowly, the excluded, something about the game that that they found as an avenue in towards sort of inclusivity to being a, a part of this nation that they had had traveled to become a part of. And to really be part of it, you know, basketball was such such a big deal. Certainly, certainly was not the only way into American culture and wasn't the only way in which they were accepted. But there was really some dominance in the 1920s and 1930s from uh, Catholic Americans in college basketball. This is before professional basketball was a big deal. Um, teams that were from Catholic institutions and teams composed largely of Jewish Americans were dominating the college basketball landscape during that time. In fact, to the point where um, in the late 1940s, early 1950s, there was a national Catholic invitation basketball tournament. That's how good Catholic schools were at basketball. So there's something about the inclusion there of this game that I think uh, Jesus would have really appreciated. Yeah, I love the way you pulled together this idea of uh, a sport having this maybe unintentional larger purpose. You know, it wasn't crafted in such a way that it would do this sort of thing. But it does speak to, I think, for all of us, understanding a culture through understanding the games they play. And I think that here in America, with this game taking a certain prominence, to be able to learn a sport or engage in a sport, especially if you're new to the country, and this is a country of immigrants, uh, to be able to embrace it and say, this is... uh, this is an opportunity for me to to blend in, to to learn the culture, to be a part of what people care about. Um, and so I think uh, I've had small experiences of that in other countries. So when I spent a semester in Great Britain, the idea I had for my students was for them to engage in the games. And so we learned in you know more prominent sports there, including we, we spent some time learning rugby. We spent some time learning cricket. Uh, a whole new uh, sport for many of our students. Uh, crew, right? Get out there. And those are things that happen certainly in the United States, but in way smaller numbers. And so to learn those things, I've traveled to, to Africa uh, and we just spent two or three weeks uh, learning the dance, doing it poorly, but learning the activity, the, um, the culture through dance. And the same is true, uh, you know, the sport actually when I went to the Philippines was actually basketball. Uh, uh, they were playing in flip-flops much better than we were, but uh, you learn the culture and you be able to speak the language partially by playing the games that are played there. And I think that uh, basketball had that uh, connection point for first, you know, first-generation immigrants that came to the United States. All right. So we've got history for both of us and in, in different ways for our, our, our first reason. Um, can I share my second one? Go to number two. Now, is that the rhythm? Okay. I'm, I'm moving to my number two here. Um, I've, I've shared this with others and I'm not sure that I have, like, I'm not sure that I have the evidence behind it that I need to have yet to be able to be confident in this claim. But I, there's something that feels right about it yet. So I'll share it. I think 
basketball is a game in which one person can change everything in a way that other team sports uh, don't have. And maybe it's just to a degree that other sports don't allow the structure of the game. So let me explain this, then I'll explain why I think Jesus would would, would play um, because of that. So in a number of team sports, there are different positions. And in a number of team sports, um, you know, players only play you know part of the game or at part of the time, right? So, um, so I'm thinking of the most popular uh, sports in the United States. I'm thinking of American football, where you're either playing offense or defense and a spe- specialized position at that. I'm thinking of baseball, where one is uh, you are one of nine batters, and so you're not always in the action. Um, I'm thinking about hockey, ice hockey, in which one can be anywhere at any time. Um, however, the, the stints are so short, right? A hockey player really goes hard for about a minute on a shift, and then there's a line change because it's just so much effort, which is unbelievable in a, in a whole different way. I'm thinking of soccer in which a goalkeeper is a specialized position, but also one player can't really take over the game in a way that they can in basketball. And I remember David Beckham coming from England to the United States to play in the MLS and basically telling the fans in Los Angeles, look, I know I'm a really good player, but we're not going to automatically win every game just because I'm on the team. And yet when LeBron James went from Cleveland to Los Angeles to play for the Lakers, that was basically the idea is that this, this has changed things because one person can change things in such a dramatic way. There is never a point in time when LeBron James uh, is, is not allowed to affect the action on the court during the game of basketball. Now, as he gets older, he's subbed out more regularly. Of course, he's playing less. He's been hurt more. But if he plays all 48 minutes of that game, there's not one square inch of that court that he cannot be at any one point in time while the clock is running. So he can have a a great impact. One person can change things. Why is that important? Well, clearly in the Christian faith, Jesus changed things, of course, exponentially more. I don't want to sound heretical in any way, but I think there's something uh, about that. This is what one person can do. This is the power of one person. Jesus Christ is the savior as this ultimate power, uh, and that that was a game changer. I think I think basketball has a parallel, and I think Jesus would say, you know what, it's important for for those of the Christian faith to see themselves as people who can change things uh, through the the name and the power of Jesus Christ. I think you've hit on something really unique to basketball. I'm not there are a few other sports that have similar sort of court games that yep, sure. uh, everybody has the same sort of status, right? Uh, but there are um, there are some unique aspects of basketball in the ability to affect the game both offensively and defensively, and like you said, uh, ninety four feet you can you can touch all ninety four feet uh, unless you're playing sort of five year old basketball where they break it into sections, uh, which I don't think is, works really well. But the idea that um, a person is engaged in all aspects and can make a difference. Now let it be known that you were the first person to make a savior parallel to Tim Tebow in a previous podcast. And now, <laughs> um, and now it's LeBron James. So sure. Uh, again, if yeah. you're looking for a heresy, Chad yep, Carlson, yep. And you'll find him, right? Guilty. Guilty. Uh, exactly. No. So fun stuff. I think that idea that, uh, a one influential person among many working and living and, and playing among many makes such a huge difference. And I, I think, uh, 
that's a fun one. I think that's great. I'm going to move on to my second one, which in this case uh, deviates completely from where you're coming from. So no parallels here. And that's what makes it a little bit fun. I uh, thought about the game and a little bit of the, just the pageantry of the game, the way that um, this sport, and I tried to make some comparisons to other sports, but I was actually surprised how well this held up. And that is the opportunity for last second heroics. So this idea in basketball, and I don't know, I don't care who you are. If you, if you love basketball as a kid, a little boy, little girl, and you're playing out in your driveway, you say to yourself, three, two, one, right? You have that moment where you take that last second shot and basketball really has that built into just about every one of its games, right? There, there are blowouts, there are things that, but uh, you don't get a lot of last second unless you watched the NFL yesterday, but you don't get a lot of last second moments as much as you get in basketball, that final shot, because there's going to be a lot of turnover at the, at the end and there's, there's an opportunity to score. Soccer doesn't have that same sort of real opportunity to score. It just takes so much to score in soccer. But all you have to do is get a shot up, just hoist a shot. And there's that feeling that uh, I can affect the outcome. And it can go from, you know, jubilation to despair uh, for teams in such a short period of time. Right. Um, and it happens just over and over and over again in basketball. So that last second shot. And, and I think there is some drama to the Christian life. There's some drama to the biblical life. And so I'll just there's lots of it, but I'll just pull on a couple of them. Uh sort of that last second save all in the book of Daniel. So Daniel brought to the lion's den right to the very last second. The, the lions are on their way to, to ravage him, right? These are hungry lions. Don't feed them. And here's Daniel brought in and tossed in and saved at the last second. And it's his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Same thing. Tossed into the furnace, no saving, but in that last moment, in that last second, they don't burn up. Two dramatic stories with last second changes. Even Jesus on the cross, the the final conversion of the robber on the cross to say, you know, what, where am I and what can I do? And he says, today you can be with me in paradise. That last second change. So to me, the drama of basketball, the drama of the moment really, really kind of captured it. And you, you couldn't help yourself but get analogies in there to the Lions, right? I heard a few, a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, watched, nobody watches the Lions. No, no, I, no that, of course that, not. You, I think you're right. I, there's a lot that goes on there. And really to the point where, like in the NBA, uh, you know, referees and administrators have identified that one can get a shot off in 0.4 seconds, but not any quicker than that, right? So they've, they've even looked at the timing of all these potentially dramatic experiences. And uh, that happens at the end of games, of course, but an NBA game is four quarters. Men's college basketball is two halves. Women's college basketball is four quarters. So there's four different opportunities there. Plus, uh, most of those high levels have shot clocks. And so there are opportunities for like buzzer beaters so regularly in these games. I know that they don't mean as much if they're just the end of a shot clock, but absolutely, they're, these are the things that kids practice. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I like that. And that makes me excited to hear your third, Brian, as well. Yeah. So do you want me to go ahead with my third? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, great. So uh, again, 
trying to think specifically about basketball and this one's a little more frivolous but why not have a little fun yeah. and so i tried to think about you know okay am i going to go with uh, the flex offense or the zone defense no no that, let's let's not get into that technicality where is the artistry in this game and to me the the artistry the creativity that is unique to this game is that it happens in flight and so not a lot of games happen in the air in such a creative way. You know, volleyball is very much a, a flight game, uh, but the action in that moment is doesn't deviate all that much, right? But the idea of being in the air, and in some ways, when we think of the best players of all time, uh, some of our, our visions of them are in the air. We think of them as kind of floating and defying gravity. Uh, they clearly are not, but just the ability to to make those adjustments in the air almost looks makes it look like that's happening. And so I just think about this idea: we live in a, a world of rules, and we live in a world of of laws, uh, laws of gravity, for instance, that bind us and bound us. But in this creative world where all of us are sort of stuck to the earth, God made birds. God made things that flew. God defied that and gave us examples of things to follow. And in that is a great deal of creativity. And that creativity actually inspired humans to, to find ways to fly. And so to me, this idea of flight, uh, this sport brings that level of creativity. And I think this is going to sound really awful, but the, the one moment that I think is a little bit of a, uh, feels like a show me moment in the Bible is the ascension. I mean, every other miracle seem to, you know, benefit the world. But this one, it's like, I'm out of here. And off Jesus goes, right? Up into the sky. That that was a little bit of a, a mic drop, right? That was, look at this. I am defying gravity. And so there you go. I have I have now uh, kind of rated the miracles and said this was, <laughs> was a, a bit of a show me miracle. So anyway, I'm in deep, deep trouble. There's a... There's a, we'll, we'll focus on what you said about there being a vertical element of basketball and artistry within that. I think that makes sense. And I think, yeah, you know, the angel Gabriel probably would have been a baller. I mean, I'm just thinking like with <laughs> the power of flight, power to sort of uh, levitate. Yeah, that, that's good. That's really good. I, I think that's important that to recognize basketball having a vertical element, there being something, you know, theological about that. The ascension was the ultimate, the ultimate vertical moment for sure. Yeah, so tell, tell us your third. Okay, here's my third. Uh, it, it sounds simple. I, I think there's some depth behind it here. Why would Jesus play basketball? He would play basketball because I do. Because oh, I wow. did. Where are we going with this? Yeah, so the, <laughs> we're trying to find things that are unique to each of these sports, right? And sure. so, yeah, basketball's a team game. That's great. Um, there are other sports that, that are that way as well. We're trying to find things that are unique here. So um, I think that Jesus cares about the things that we care about because he loves us. And I don't think it's really that he necessarily cares about the things we care about so much that he cares about us and our hearts. So I think Jesus would play basketball because I play basketball. And if he wants to get to know me, which he does, he knows where he could have found me <laughs> growing up on the basketball <laughs> yeah, court. Of course. And you mentioned this too, Brian, being at the playground, playing, playing basketball. Um, so I think there's, 
there's something to be said for for this. And this, I apologize, this not being unique to basketball, but I think it's it's unique to me that um, Jesus would have played because I did, because I, I, I cared about basketball. Now, that gets into sort of the theological question, does Jesus care who wins? Does God care who wins? And I think God cares about what we care about. And I think God cares about us being formed in a way that's closer to, that, that gets us to be caring about what he cares about more. But I think if we're going to look at Jesus as, as a part of Jesus as being sort of the ultimate young life leader that is meeting people where they are, I think Jesus would have a hard time avoiding the basketball court in many parts of the world, because I think that's where people are. A lot of people who, um, who are in need of him, uh, it's just there's action there. And so uh, this is also quite different, Brian, from, from what you said. But I just wanted to say this is something that's a bit provocative. You're just thinking, I, I really think that Jesus would have met me there. Hmm. And I think he would have helped to form me from there, knowing that I cared so much about basketball. I think he would have I think he would have played. I think he would have cared about it. I think he would have helped to form me towards him through basketball. I think he did, actually. Yeah, and I think your personal story, as you're describing it, it sort of hits a tone but it resonates with other people and whether it was basketball or some, something else where we get into a little bit or a lot of the, just the theology of sport. What, what is the place of sport? And I think you and I would both agree that while sport can have a benefit that goes beyond the sport. In other words, sometimes we talk about the use of sport in evangelism, or we talk about the use of sport uh, in terms of forming community. But the actual engagement of sport, the actual doing of sport can make God smile, right? The idea that he's created good things and he's created this playfulness. And uh, humankind has turned that into forms of games that we've codified. And now we repeat over and over again and we find value in. And obviously there are concerns when we think about loving something in that way and it's Jamie Smith will say, you are what you love, right? And we can fall into some traps there. But certainly we were meant to love, to love, right? And this um, this game for you was that. It was the thing that drew you in. And uh, I would say the same, although I would, um, you know, I would add some a few others to that as, as I've gone, and, and you probably would too. So would I, yeah. Yeah. So those are... Um, those are real stories, right? And those are, I think we need to find ways to, to tell those stories so that there is inherent beauty, right? And inherent worth and value in the participation in these games. And I think that's what we're trying to do in some ways in this series. So I like it. I like it a lot. Um, tell me, uh, so I, I'm going to defer to you now in our last section, mainly because I, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. So if yours is really good, I might just bail. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, I have two. Oh, I well, two. I, let me piggyback on one because okay. uh, I've just done a poor job of coming up with a reason Jesus would not play uh, basketball. All right, I'm going to let you take two. Okay. All right, and you can, and if you want to piggyback, you can, you can raise your hand, and I'll, I'll cut it short. I know our listeners won't be able to see that, but I will, and, and I'll know to, to let you uh, take the mic. So, here's the first one, uh, and this is relatively shallow, I would say. But there's, there's something that, to me, has always felt a little bit disingenuous about the intentional foul in basketball, especially near the end of a game. A team is losing, and so in order to preserve time on the clock, 
you foul the other team immediately, force them to shoot free throws, hoping that they won't make both free throws. And then you take the ball, you try to score, bucket's worth two points. So you, you theoretically decrease your deficit you know, faster by fouling the other team. And it seems to me uh, like it's a strategy that is that forces basketball to become a game that I'm not sure we want it to become. And I think we lose something there. Nevertheless, theologically speaking, I, I don't know if there's a place for understanding uh, intentionally doing something wrong. And, and maybe maybe I'm just not thinking broadly enough here, but I think there's, there, there's, there's something that would be, I, I think, difficult for Jesus to understand about why we would commit a foul that is a transgression on purpose and have that lead ultimately to better ends. I just don't see a place for that in the, in the Christian faith. Yeah, I'm going to pick up on that. And um, I think I'm not going to go as far as you on that second point, because I do think we can find a theology for that. The um, and, and it goes to what the purpose and intention of it is. And it's largely to manipulate the clock, right? To, to stop the, a game with a clock and how do you deal with the clock? And there's no, there, there are ways to stop it, and that's built in. There is, a, there is a consequence to be paid, right, a free throw or whatever, but there is a, a way to stop the clock. And so you're measure, measuring those things and determining what you're willing to do to try to make that happen. But I do like the idea of where you started, which was it's really clunky. And it takes a beautiful game, and it just ruins the ending. You know, it, it really does. I mean, the, the, the game grinds to a halt, particularly, you know, if it happens over and over and over again. It, uh, it's sad that it ends that way. Uh, and, and I would also, if I, if I were in charge of the world, I would remove all coach timeouts. Mm. Um, it, the number of, of uh, coach interventions at the end of a basketball game and whistles really detracts from its flow and its beauty. Um, and so to me, and they always have a number of them, right? You have TV timeouts and then you have a, just a, a array of timeouts at the end and it's back and forth and it really, it shuts the game down in a different way. I get it. I get why they're doing it, but I just wish it wasn't that way. So yeah, I like that one. How's your second one? Okay. Here's the second one. Um, maybe a little bit deeper, maybe also, uh, you know, questionable, but I think it's, it's, it's good conversation. So basketball is a sport that relies heavily on height at the elite levels. The average height continues to go up, even though the standard deviation on the high side is not growing. So we're seeing less and less guys that are, you know, seven foot five, like Yao Ming, seven foot six, whatever else. They still exist. But the game is becoming taller. We're having better athletes at taller heights. And what that does is I think it puts a premium, maybe an unhealthy premium on height in society. And I think it also um, excludes people in a way that other sports don't because they don't have that, that vertical element. So I think there's some difficulties there. And I guess what, what, I, what I think about is King Saul. The reason why uh, God's chosen people wanted, king, wanted Saul as their first king, even though they were advised not to, to want a king. Uh, was because Saul was a head taller than everybody else. So there's something about height that seemed to be a bit of a false front, right? That we equate height with uh, intelligence or power or whatever else it was that they were equating height with. I think, uh, you know, basketball and its emphasis on height maybe, maybe encourages us to put 
a little bit more social stock in height in, in a way that just isn't isn't helpful or healthy, especially outside of, of basketball, even though it is helpful for basketball. The focus on height, I think, is maybe an unhealthy focus. Yes. Uh, what's interesting there, and well, you've took, taken us all the way back to sort of King James. Good for you. All right. So King Saul, and now we have King James, right? Right, uh, right, LeBron right. James. And um, I, I love this one. I think it's really interesting. I'm trying to make, and I wonder how this follows. We do have a premium on height for men, but we don't have a, certainly basketball favors a tall female as well, mm-hmm. but we don't have the same social status that goes with it for females. And so, uh, and sometimes uh, a detriment, right? I've worked with my, uh, and you know, in, in the world that we are, I work with a lot of athletes and the female athletes can really, when they, when they write the reflective papers, struggle with their own height. And so to me, um, that I think that's would be an interesting one to sort of dig into. I, I think you're definitely on it, um, but I think it's a very different experience for both men and women as they as they think about basketball. Uh, but you're, that King Saul reference is great, right? He's clearly a king. He's a head taller than everybody else, right? Uh, what a what a um, a cool takeaway I think from this sport. This idea that societally we just we think about physical stature and and uh i do uh we do marvel at the the small ones though that make it work right the that we always think of like the spud webs of the world or muggsy bogues the really uh shorter players that have made it to high heights but even i'm i'm watching chris paul the other night and how he completely dominates a game uh at a at what six one six two i don't know how big uh, Chris Paul is, but yeah, those, uh, so there are people that can defy, um, that, that, you know, deference to height in, in, in basketball. Good stuff. Great stuff, Chad. Yeah. Um, what'd you think of basketball? Did it, did it meet your expectations? I, I certainly have an angle coming into it, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. you and I, we both have angles coming into it. And so it was fun for me to think about the, the reasons why Jesus might not play as, yeah. as sort of a, a, a check of my own heart. And, and it's good to do this in, in all these sports, but I think that's it's, it's healthy that we're not just sort of blindly saying, "Oh, yeah, these are these sports are great, and there's theological connections." But there are also probably legitimate reasons why, in this in this frivolous activity we're doing, you know, <laughs> legitimacy right maybe isn't an issue. But it's it's fun to think through this. Absolutely, it is. Well, four in the can, and we're looking forward to the next one. So, uh, thanks very much for listening. As always, reach out if you have any. Uh, reactions or any questions and we'll be happy to uh, to maybe integrate that into the next podcast until next time thanks for listening to the sport faith life podcast find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on apple podcasts We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.